Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Gracious Father, we lift up Todd Albee to you this morning as he comes to share your word. I thank you for Todd. I thank you for the gifts that you have given him. I thank you for his love for you and his love for your word. I thank you for his commitment to and love for Dunwoody Community Church. So God, I just ask that you'll honor the study that he has put in today and throughout this week. And I ask that you bless him, that you speak through him to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes, just after halfway through. Uh, In chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 18. So Ecclesiastes 5, 18. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God's given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work... This is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the life of his days, on the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with gladness in his heart. Over the past year or so, there's been a lot of transition in the work landscape, both in the U.S. and in the world. Many have lost jobs, many have changed jobs, but almost everybody has had their job change. Their job has changed maybe to working remotely, to a different way of engaging in the workforce. And I think it's particularly appropriate time to look into Scripture and see what Scripture says about our work, see what Scripture says about our job. And maybe we can find some things that we can apply in our own lives, some things that we can learn about what God has ordained work to be, how we can use it in our lives, and how can we can make sure that we are being faithful to Him in the jobs that we do in our lives. And I have to say, when I read this passage in Ecclesiastes and I think about satisfaction in a job or joy of work or accepting a lot in life, I'm finding all three of those a little harder to do now than they were, say, 13, 14 months ago. And so as a result, I think it's, it is appropriate for us to look at what Scripture has to say about work and, and, and to try and find truths that we can apply to re-remind ourselves of what God has in store for us. That said, if you were to ask me, what does Scripture say about work? Sometimes I have to scratch my head and say, gosh, um, I remember work being part of the curse of Adam, and then I don't really remember a whole lot else. Not sure I would have been able to draw this Ecclesiastes passage to mind. And yet I think if we look at work in that way, that work is part of the curse given to Adam when he was sent out of the Garden of Eden, I think we misunderstand work at a foundational level. And if we misunderstand it at a foundational level, it's difficult to build a proper understanding of what work should be. So let's go back to the beginning and realize that even though the curse of Adam was in Genesis 3, it is not the first mention of work in the Bible. The first mention of work in the Bible is actually two chapters earlier, in the first chapter of Scripture. Genesis 1.28 On the sixth day of creation, as God has created Adam and Eve, he gives them a job. He says, fill the earth and order it. And he gives them specifically 
crops to grow at that time. We know that inside the Garden of Eden that they had a job. We don't exactly know the details. Scripture doesn't spend a lot of time talking about what they did. But what we need to recognize, first of all, is that God built us to be working people. He built us where work is a part of what we do. That doesn't necessarily mean we need to have a job. It doesn't necessarily mean we need to do work of a particular kind, but he made us to be people that work. And that happened before the fall, before the curse of Adam. And I think if we understand that, that can help us build a better understanding of work than if we start with, you know what, work is a necessary evil. And if it weren't for Adam and that stupid apple, then we wouldn't have to do this. Because that's not the case. God made us to be working people. He himself is a worker. The first chapter of scripture is God doing the work of creation. And so in this way, we are image bearers of the Lord. In this way, we are following in what God has asked us to do. But that said, the curse of Adam is also real. In Genesis 3, we we read that Adam is going to have to strive and he's going to have to toil and that nothing's going to come easy, and that work is going to go from being a pure joy to not a pure joy, to a joy that's now mixed with toil, with effort. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be difficulties. And for many of us, that reflects our jobs. There's elements of it that can be enjoyable. There's elements of it that are extremely not enjoyable. And so when we encounter that, I think there's a recognition that we need to appreciate that this is in many ways the the way we came into this world with a a created to work, but also with a curse, that work is not always going to be easy. And that is going to involve effort and it's going to involve toil. And that basically means that if you're in a situation where you are able to enjoy your job, find satisfaction in your work and accept your lot in life, it truly is the blessing that Ecclesiastes 5 says that it is. And so if you feel like that's a position you should be in 100% of the time, I think you're, I would love for that to be true. And I'd love to be able to say that that is one of the promises of scripture, but it's not. But when that happens, I think we need to recognize that with joy that we have found a wonderful place to be in and we are in the pleasure of God at that moment. But I think if we were to look at a more broad approach to work, I think we can also look to history to give us some insight as to what people in the past have thought scripture taught about work. Scripture actually raises at least 35, depending on how you count, up to 80 different professions in the Bible. We know a lot about work in the Bible, but there isn't a single passage that you can go to that says, okay, here is where you're going to find Paul giving you a theology of work in the New Testament. Or this isn't a place where you're going to see Abraham exemplifying what it means to be a good worker in the Old Testament. And so what scholars and theologians in the past have done is to go through all of scripture and to build a concept of what God had in store for those who work. And some of that has become consolidated into what we now know as the Protestant work ethic. The Protestant work ethic actually rose out of Calvinism. It's something that has been around for 400 years. And a lot of historians believe that the Protestant work ethic is at the core of modern capitalism. And whether they agree that it is either the cause of that or an immediate outcome of the introduction of capitalism, what almost everyone will say is that that work ethic and the three principles of it, which we'll talk about in a moment, are at the core of a lot of Western European and U.S. society. And the Protestant work ethic is based upon three specific principles. One of diligence, The second is discipline, and the third is frugality. And this is an oversimplification, perhaps, of a tremendous amount of theological scholarship, but at the end of the day, do your job well, do it consistently, 
and live within your means is more of a modern word uh, picture for what does it mean to live within a Protestant work ethic. And if we find that at the foundation of capitalism, or it's certainly at the beginning of capitalism, and we say a lot of our current society is based on that, it would seem, oh good, our society is in a wonderful position to encourage us to follow God's view of work. If only that were true. Because I would think that we can find ways in which all three of the pillars of the Protestant work ethic, those of diligence, of discipline, and of frugality, come under attack as our culture pivots somewhat from capitalism to something more consumer-friendly, to more consumerism. And even if it wasn't just based on a move from capitalism to consumerism, we certainly know that there are temptations in this world around us and themes and ways that we engage with the world that give us a challenge in all three of those areas. And I think one of those, let's start at the beginning with, with diligence and say, what, is, what does our culture say about diligence? And you think, you know what? If you talk to people who have a good work ethic, that pretty much means diligence, right? They're the people who will make sure that they get a job 100% done. We often associate that work ethic with someone, maybe we call them driven. Maybe we will call them you know, results-focused and things of that nature. And I think there's some positive elements of that. But I think we also recognize that there is a rising tide of doing good enough. And I think one of the challenges with just doing good enough is there's more and more to do. And so it's impossible for us to do everything extremely well. And because it's impossible for us to do everything extremely well, we have to choose where to cut corners. We get into the habit of cutting corners, and then cutting corners becomes the way we do our jobs. Most corporate environments are looking for you to basically cut a year-over-year year budget 3 to 5% a year. Do the same thing for less money next year than you did it for this year. Do it for less this year than you did it for last year. And we see how that can actually drive a tremendous amount of success, but it also creates a relentless pressure on us to do our job more effectively, but actually not more effectively, just more efficiently. And maybe not more efficiently, we just need to get it done faster. And so now all of a sudden the quality of our work can begin to erode at the edges. And we can still do our core job well, but some of the stuff on the outside, maybe that becomes a challenge. Maybe that becomes something that we're not doing as well as we once did. And it's somewhat difficult to basically retain that tremendously high standard because I don't know about you. I would love to say I get 3% better every year. I do not get 3% better every year. And yet, I'm supposed to be 3% better every year. And so I think as we look into our own life and our own work experience, I think it is important for us to do our work heartily as towards the Lord. And that may mean we have to actually pray about how we do our jobs. I don't know about you. I pray when I'm between jobs or looking for a job or when I'm miserable in my job. I'm not necessarily sure that I have ever said a prayer that said, dear Lord, help me understand what it means to do my job well. And yet I think we probably should be doing that. I think we should probably have an understanding of what does it mean to do our work for the Lord and that the work product that we produce at work needs to honor God and we need to be diligent in doing it well. And so I think that that part of the, that work ethic does come under attack and it's hard to be diligent. Now, when it comes to discipline, it's interesting. I love the rise of the work culture that has been spawned this year. I tend towards more introversion, so me working remotely is great. But my discipline isn't the difficulty of starting work on time. My difficulty in discipline is stopping work on time. 
I think there are people who struggle in different arenas. I can definitely say in my early 20s, getting to work on time was a massive problem. Now it's getting off work on time that is a massive problem. As COVID has gone on and on, all of a sudden, what became a once in a while time, which was to go back to work for an hour or two after dinner, is now a daily activity. And so there isn't discipline in doing my job and letting it comprise its appropriate place. It just becomes something that is consistent and and continuous. And work psychologists will tell you that there is a maximum efficiency that we can do in our jobs. In other words, it doesn't matter how many hours of work we work, there is a point of diminishing returns. And over time, the more time you spend, the less effective each hour is. And there is a point, and there is a debate now, somewhere between 40 and 45 hours a week, where you actually are less effective in 50 hours than you would have been at 40 hours. And yet I think there's more and more pressure for us to work more and more. Some of you may be looking and saying, gosh, I can't remember the last time I worked as little as 50 hours in a week. And this is not an encouragement to necessarily set work boundaries in any particular area. It's an encouragement to set work boundaries. So if your challenge is getting up on time and starting work at a consistent time, maybe that's where you need to focus on the discipline of doing your job and doing it well. In Proverbs, we read, hey, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest and poverty will come like a thief. So we know that there is an extreme on that end. But I think there is an extreme on the other end that ties in with the third element of a good work ethic, and that is of frugality. Because I think a lot of times the reason we're not willing to limit how much we work is because our belief is that if we continue to work more, we will earn more, and then we can get more, and we can spend more. And so that ties into the third element of the work ethic, which is that of frugality. Does anybody believe frugality is considered a virtue anymore? I mean, I don't know about you, I look at it as a virtue, but then I also see this year, $619 billion on digital ad spending, more than two-thirds of it customized based on your browsing habits on the internet. Again, I'm probably not seeing the same ads you are. It's not like the the days when we would all be watching the same newscast at night and all seeing the same ads for the same staple goods. No, no. What I get in my feed, what I see on the web pages that I visit is custom tailored to give me something that is slightly aspirational, definitely better than what I currently have, more expensive than what I currently have, but also attainable enough that, hey, you know what? For an extra 5, 10%, I can get this aspirational thing. And it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever affinities that you have, you're going to be tempted to find a way to spend more. And some of that is the consumer culture that we live in. Some of that is the society that we are in. And some of that is a positive, but I think it can also be corrosive to our motivations if now all of a sudden work becomes the means to a spending end. God built us for work. He did not build work for us to satisfy our desires. And I think there is a subtle perversion of it in our current context where we now are thinking, gosh, work now becomes a way to satisfy our desires, to fulfill our wants, to be able to click through on some of those ads and buy some of those things custom tailored for me to want to buy them. And so as we look at those three elements of discipline, of diligence, and of frugality, I think we can start to say that these are cornerstones of what it means to have a good perception of work, but also this recognition that we have that, wow, we have things in our society that work against us in all three of those areas. 
And so our challenge as we do our work, again, whether that's employed work, volunteer work, whatever it is that God has called you in in your work, how is it that we can now pivot? How is it that we can now retain our focus on work and doing it God's way? All of us are given 168 hours every week. But if we have full-time employment, we're working a minimum of a quarter of that. And yet I would argue this may be the quarter of our life other than sleep that we spend the least time thinking and praying about unless we're between jobs or in need of a new job. And so one of the classic encouragements that we have is that we want God to pervade all of our lives. And I think for many of us, God pervading our work life is limited to, okay, we, we, maybe we need to share our faith at work or maybe we need, just need to do a good job. We don't understand that that is part of life he has built us for and that we need to be able to find fulfillment and find a way to honor him in that context. And I think that differs for each of us. Some of us are in jobs that we like. Some of us are in jobs that we, we hate, but we have to do in order to pay the bills. And so finding God in each of those places will be different. If you're one of those people who can read that passage in Ecclesiastes 5 and say, yes, I am truly able to see God's blessing. I can see joy in my job. I can see happiness in my profession. And I have accepted it and I'm totally good with it. Then praise God for that. And I think the encouragement there is how can you encourage other people in a situation that you are not in? Maybe you're in a situation where you have found a way to look at work in the proper context and you have other people in your workplace or in your life who who just have it somewhat out of whack. Maybe this is an opportunity for God's blessings in your life to overflow to them. Maybe you're in the exact opposite situation that there is, you can't remember the last time you felt joy in your job except when you were walking out of the building to go home. And if that's the situation that you are in, I think what we pray for is pray for that feeling of God's blessing. What does it look like to find satisfaction in a job? And you may say, gosh, I'm not going to find it here. And I think maybe that may not be always the best of perspectives and the best of attitudes to bring to a difficult job because God can do amazing things in difficult circumstances. What's interesting about that passage in in Ecclesiastes is that's a wonderful summary, but if you actually go back to the beginning of the passage, there are actually other areas in Ecclesiastes 5 that God's giving us a different perspective on work. If you go up a few verses to verse 12, he says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man benefits him no sleep. So there's this perspective here that, hey, you might find your job completely fulfilling, you might find it unfulfilling, but God's rest is a gift. And it is a blessing to, to you, whether you love your job or hate your job. And then if we go further up back into verse 10, we read that whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And this too is meaningless. I think there is a challenge that we have as we approach our job that it does not become either a great villain or a great savior. It's neither. It is a blessing of the Lord. It is something that he has made us to do. It is something he has gifted us with, but it's also something that we can do with like we do with a lot of God's gift, which is take it, deal with it in a way that is not consistent with what God has taught us. Deal with it in a way that kind of perverts his perfect design for work and, and turns it into something that it was never meant to be. And within that context, I think the greatest assault that we do have is that consumerist attitude that we have. And, and we live in a culture that really does keep score with dollars. And a lot of people play that, that game of, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. 
And none of us would ever admit to doing that. Any hands raised to keep up with the Joneses? No, none of us would never do that. And actually, if you go through uh, the historical list of the, the, the seven deadly sins, there's one of them or, 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 uh, that is never something that people admit to, and that's greed. People will admit to pretty much any other sin they will gladly go uh, online to, to celebrate how they're flaunting the historical perspectives on these things. But very few people want to admit to being greedy. And I think that is... Um, that can be a challenge because we don't look at ourselves and see ourselves that way. There was a, a songwriter once uh, named Rich Mullins who said, everyone I know says they need just one thing, but what they really mean is they need just one thing more. And the reason we don't feel greedy is because we don't want everything. We're not looking to become the next Jeff Bezos or the next Elon Musk. We just want one thing. But what we can find is if that dissatisfaction drives us, if that desire for that one thing perverts our understanding of work, perverts how we do our job, causes us maybe to cut corners, maybe to, to be questionably honest in business dealings, maybe to basically abandon our other priorities so that we can spend more time, that we can work a little more, so we can earn a little more, so we can get a little more, then I think we need to recognize that, gosh, maybe, maybe that word greedy is something we need to look in the mirror and say, okay. We may not say I'm greedy, but maybe we'll just, let's start with I'm being greedy not a greedy person. I'm just being greedy at this point. Or basically, I'm just not satisfied with what I have. And I think when we look at that, what has been fascinating to me has been what has happened during the pandemic to people's spending. So as our society has moved into this setting, we look at something called the net savings rate, which is what percentage of what money people make ends up being saved. And there was a year, about five years back, where the net savings rate in the States was zero. It was the first time it had ever crossed below zero. So on average, people had spent more than they had made. That had risen back up, five, seven percent, whatever it is. But now, over the last year, it is more than doubled. And so what we recognize is that because we had less opportunities to do more, we actually did act in a way that was more frugal. And we did act in a way that was more consistent with what God has called us to do. But I think there's a flip side to that, which is we're coming out of that. And as vaccines and uptake and COVID hopefully continues to fall, hopefully we're in a position where we don't have the same restrictions that we have had in the past. But I think that's gonna be a challenge for all of us because what is there now? There's pinup demand. There's stuff we wanted to do that we couldn't do. There are restaurants we wanted to visit that we haven't been able to visit in a year. There were places and vacations that we had to cancel that we're now ready to go on. There are all of these things that we wish we could have done, that we planned for, that we were not doing anything inappropriate to have planned for in the past year. But ultimately, we couldn't do it because of the way the world ended up. Because of this disease, because of its impact, we were just not in a situation that, that we were able to do some of those things. But I feel like that temptation is literally right around the corner. Don't know whether it's next week, next month, next year even, but it's coming. And I think our challenge here is not to let that pendulum swing so far in the other direction that our frugality during COVID turns into excess afterwards, because then that can lead to those vicious cycles where, oh, shoot, maybe I did a little too much. Um, I, I originally was going to go to Savannah and I ended up going to Italy instead. Um, and maybe I spent a little bit more money in Italy than I was going to in Savannah, and now I got that wonderful thing in the mail from Visa. And there's an extra zero on the bank balance for the month. Because what's that going to do is drag us back into looking at work as an enabler. Now it's not an enabler for, enabler for desire, it's an enabler for past desire. 
And now we're, we end up having to do more and work more and maybe create an unhealthy relationship with work just to cover our excesses coming out of this. So I think if we were to look at those things together, I think we can gain an understanding of a healthy relationship with work. And yet I also think we can look at, at this and say, gosh, at different areas in our lives, there's different elements of those that are going to be challenging. Early in your career, you may struggle with one thing. Late in your career, you may struggle with another. But I do think we need to take the portion of our life that is associated with work and continue to pray for it and pray for it consistently. We pray for our family. We pray for our faith. We pray for our friends. Do we pray for our work, for our coworkers with as much zeal? Because I think we have just as many temptations in that area as we do anywhere else. I spend more time with some of my work colleagues than any other people on the planet. Not as much over the last year, maybe. Uh, but why is it that, that those are folks that basically if we're praying for them, we're praying for them maybe as individuals outside of work, but not within the context of work. And then how do we bring healthy attitudes towards this? How do we basically look at a situation where we say, okay, whether our discipline is doing too little or doing too much, how can we be disciplined to put work in its appropriate place? If you're blessed with someone as someone who can have an eight-hour-a-day job, great, have an eight-hour-a-day job, not an eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 15-hour-a-day job. If you're someone who has to work more, still establish some boundaries and some standards for yourself on what does it look like to have an appropriate job-type arena. And then what does it look like to look at work as a blessing? How is it that we can get to the point that the author of Ecclesiastes says that we are happy in our work because it is a gift of God? How can we look at our job, whether we love it or we loathe it, and think this is, this is a gift of God. This is something I was created for. This is something I was built for. And if we take that attitude towards our work, I think all of a sudden now we can get, begin to honor God in our work. We can now take the opportunity to look at work within a different context. This isn't a means to an end. In many respects, this is an end unto itself. This is something that we are going to be doing now for the rest of our lives. It's something we're going to be doing in eternity. It's something we would have been doing if there was no sin of Adam and Eve. This is part of who we were made to be. And like the other parts that we work on in our lives as we deal with trying to seek out fruit of the spirit, we try and seek out what does it look like to honor God? Let's make sure we're honoring him here and that this does not become just a black hole in our awareness of how God interacts with us because it does comprise a majority of our waking hours most days of the week. And if that's the case, let's make sure that we embrace what God's vision is for an effective work life. That yes, we're diligent. Yes, we're disciplined. Yes, we're frugal. But honestly, that throughout all of that, whether we're doing well or poorly in each of those areas, that we are honoring God in our work and that we're looking at work as something that should honor God. And so with that encouragement, I'd like to close in prayer. I'd like to, to, to ask God to, to intervene, to work with us, to, to help us have a better understanding of what it means um, to follow him in our job. So dear Lord, we do pray that we would have a better understanding of what following you at work looks like. We ask that we would, yes, learn what it means to be diligent. Yes, what it learns means to be disciplined. Um, Yes, what it means to be frugal, at least from a motivational perspective. That we would understand that we are made to be workers. We are made to honor you and follow you 
in our work lives, in our jobs. And, and we truly want, Lord, to find, um, to find a balance in our life that includes work, that we recognize that work is something that honors you. And uh, with that, Lord, uh, we ask that you continue to be present for us. In your name we pray, amen.